You know, actually, I've been listening back to the old episodes, actually. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Some of this, um, this rapper that you guys were at the beginning is actually quite quite good, actually, man. Hey, man, we're, we're, man, we're all insp- inspirationally, musically inspired. The thing is, I've got some nice headphones on right now. So Mr. Yeah. Sand, he sounded crisp to me that day. That was like, oh, yeah. oh, I think he's Dre now. Yeah. Hey, Dre, Drake. <laughs> yeah, bro. Now, more, more like fake. All the gear and no idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Black Apple Lives um, in the... Re- oh, my God. The, the Real Locker Room Talk in... No, no. Oh, it's for the Black Apple Lives. Real Locker Room Talk. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter. All I know what, is I got... What day, we said, we were going to knock this on the head, didn't we? We, said we, we did say, say, we did that. Yeah, we say for weeks. Really. Well, I come to the... And then somebody else to take over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. But the thing is, you got to get the right name and the right time and the right... Yeah, it's, 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 brain, man. Put your teeth in, man. Anyway, we got the... The black boss here with us. Oi. The black boss. Um, can we, shall we refer to you as black boss or can we say your name? How, do, how would you like to be? Sure, black boss Amber. Um, my name is Amber Carter, um, but however you would like to refer to me. The black boss. We like the black boss because we're called Black Apolypse. I don't know if you know about Black Apolypse. I, I will call you Amber. If you don't mind, <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> but then, if you come across like a bus later on through the show, depending on what orders you give out in the group, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so basically, um, Amber or Black Bus is um, a boss in retail. Do you own your own business? So I am a licensed Kentucky real estate agent. So I do own my, uh, my real estate business and I'll soon be licensed in the state of Ohio as well. Okay. And uh, that means you'll be able to buy and sell houses, correct? So I uh, can practice uh, in real estate and um, a lot of people think just real estate is just buying and selling houses, but there's so many different functions to the real estate industry. Um, So I practice in property management, working with investors, um, also working with first time home buyers. So I do practice just buying and selling um, but there's also some consultation and home home ownership programs that I participate as well. There's okay. a lot of um, red tape behind what you do, isn't there? From what I understand, like in re- if you want to do uh, if you want to go into real estate, you can't just um, just sort of help yourself and buy and sell houses without really knowing the property. There's a lot of property law and stuff, you know, a lot of regulations and, and red tape from what I hear. Absolutely. So there is um, a a very in-depth process to be able to obtain your real estate license. And there's also continuing education that each um, agent has to complete. So um, some people uh, also, some people may not know that you have real estate agents that are not considered realtors. So I am considered a realtor. And what that is, is that I'm a part of uh, the National Association of Realtors, and we are bound by a code of ethics on how we conduct our businesses. 
Okay. Yeah, because in the in the UK, and I guess that's based around given. Sorry, go on, Nigel. I was say in in the UK, they don't have that kind of regulation, and um, pretty much anyone can just set up, get an office, put a, a sign out, and say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll rent your house out for you," and and that's pretty much it. Obviously, you you know, if you if you're a shambles, you don't go very far. So, um, I imagine that's a positive thing over there for. Um, people you're coming into contact, tenants, um, homeowners, people who are buying, I suppose, because it's regulated, there's more protection on uh, on their side. Absolutely, yeah. So there definitely is more protection. Um, so, of course, just with the process of obtaining your real estate license, you do have to um, be knowledgeable of the state local local laws, mm -hmm. um, as well as federal laws. There are... Um, specific boundaries that you can practice real estate. Of course, we cannot act as an attorney and provide uh, legal advice, although we are overseeing uh, and being a facilitator for these transactions. So there are parameters. Um, of course, um, just within being a, a realtor, there are also those ethics that we abide by on how we engage with each other as real estate agents in the industry. Okay, so you know when you, um, oh wait, this, do you want to say something? No, I'm just saying that I think I kind of wanted to allude to what Nigel was saying, like the fact that it's, it's, it's regulated over there, I think it would give like people who are buying houses, first time buyers and everything, it's going to give them that sort of confidence that we probably don't necessarily get over here where we look on um, real estate agents over here, like they're a bit the charlatans they're always on the take and the, um, the, because a lot of it is landlord and property rental rather than people buying and selling and there's a lot of dodgy landlords and dodgy estate agents as well but I think uh, in the states I think because it, like I say it's very regulated and if I'm right I watch um, a few programs and I actually have a friend who's in real estate in the United States as well and she said it's like ultra competitive well she lives in um, Oh gosh, she lives in Michigan, I think. But she said it's just very, very competitive between the agents and the agencies um, because you know everyone's looking for that that best seller who's really cool. So I mean, not cool, but really, really able to sell. You know, and there's a lot of um, competition between the top top companies there. I don't know that for sure, but that's what she told me anyway. In Michigan, she said it's very competitive. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that statement. It is very competitive. But the good thing about our industry, too, is that, yeah, you do have those other agents that you are competing against. But all in all, um, we are working together to meet the common goal of our clients. So, of course, we want to be the ones to um, to work with that client. Or, of course, we want to um, be the ones that procure that sell. Um, but we have our guidelines and parameters and um, I think what is going to set an agent apart from the other agents is their initiative as well as their drive and understanding of the real estate markets that they're working in. Okay. Yeah. So what are some of the obstacles you come up against when you decide to choose such a, because real, realtor or real estate, real estate agent, yeah, is um, quite a lucrative job. I hear like when, when people say, if you want to make money, you need to go into retail, real, real estate, sorry, not retail. Um, so, so what's some of the obstacles you're getting, you know, you come up against? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just the, um, the picture that is painted for, um, for the community is that, you know, real estate agents have this 
easy, you know, career path and that they make so much money. But what people don't understand is that it's very expensive to mm-hmm. be in the real estate industry. I mean, there's thousands of dollars that I, I pay out on an annual basis and that is just to hold my license. That's to be able to participate and be able to, um, you know, be associated with associations that I have to be associated with. Okay. But um, it's very expensive. Um, I think if you do decide to go into the real estate um, industry, that you have to understand that it's not just staying at home and, you know, dressing up and putting on this pretty face for, for the community to see. It's not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is a competitive industry, you have to be able to set your part uh, as you have to be able to set yourself apart from the other agents. You have to understand who you are as an agent, what um, what you will bring to the table for your clients. Mm-hmm. And you also have to be able to understand that when things go wrong, you yeah. need to you need to actually know what to do. Um, I haven't been engaged in a transaction where it was just 100 percent always something that um, may take a turn and you have to as an agent you have to be aware of that and you have to bring it together um, there's many different transactions where you know uh, a buyer and a seller they're not going to see eye to eye of course the seller wants the highest price and the buyer wants to, to buy it at the lowest price so there's yeah. a lot of emotions that you have to be able to handle and be that facilitator and continue to be professional in that in that transaction i think um to a degree over here the buyer and seller are a lot more detached from what you're saying because um you know when you when you go and view a house you, you, you i mean i bought I mean, when, I, when i bought my house no one actually got out of their chair when i went to do a viewing just <laughs> 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 turned and said all right mate and then I went in, looked around, and then went about our business. But most, I suppose, is that down to value? Do you find that, obviously, you know, a 300000 £500,000 property that you'll find that the sellers are a little bit more aggressive in terms of, you know, what they want, as opposed to someone who maybe just wants to get, get rid of a, you know, £100,000 flat or whatever? So they use dollars, and it so let's say five hundred thousand dollars or pounds. We use pounds in Europe. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think you know, to your point, even at those price points, um, you know, at the higher price points, most of the clients, the sellers, they they understand what they want. They understand what price point that they want to sell at. Yeah. Um, usually this isn't their first go around within the real estate in- industry. They've been, you know, in part of some type of real estate transaction. Yeah. Um, and that does take a, a special agent to understand how to protect their client as well. Yeah. Um, just within the real estate industry, when you do have those more luxury properties, um, you have to understand that, this asset, I'm, you know, I'm going to protect it and be in protected as if it was my own. Um, you want to make sure that you are only showing the property to buyers that are qualified, buyers that are able to actually, exactly. Okay. Um, so those are some of the practices that I see often within uh, the markets that I practice in is that um, especially with those more luxury properties, we do request or require 
that there's a pre-approval because we have to have to know that we're just not letting anyone into our client's house. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what is it like being, obviously, oh, sorry, did you want to say something? I always think you're about to say something then. Yeah, I did have a question then I lost it. So carry on for a second. Okay. Um, so you being a woman and especially like a, an African-American woman, um, how does that look? Because, you know, like, like you're from Kentucky, you say? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's like in Kentucky, to be fair. Um, I did meet um, a woman, a family from there once, and it seemed a little bit, it's a bit more, it's a bit more central west, isn't it? Midwest. Yes. Down, down south, man. Yes. No, it's Kentucky right down south. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Tennessee. Sorry, they were from Tennessee. Sorry. Yeah. So we're above Tennessee. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, well, Tennessee south, isn't it? Yes. And so Kentucky's mid, sorry, mid. We're right above Tennessee. We're, I mean, from Nashville, it's probably about 45 minutes. Yeah, we're in that location. Okay, so if you're quite south, that, that's even more interesting. Because obviously in America, it's always tricky. You know, it's all, you know, like what we see in Europe, we think, okay, if you're kind of like African-American, people kind of look at you kind of funny. Now, you're obviously a, like a boss or in a, a position of authority. Does it does it make it harder for you to, you know, just to make a sale? Yeah, like not, yeah, like make a sale. Even uh, get customers to believe. Okay, she's serious. Yeah, absolutely. I think just within this industry and a lot of industries where there are those, um, I would say more executive roles. Um, especially as a woman and an African-American woman that there's going to be um, some pushback, whether that's from the community, whether that's from the people that you are working with. Absolutely. Um, Just within the real estate industry, according to the National Association of Realtors, um, black agents make up about 7% um, of the realtors on a national basis. Okay. 7%. Mm-hmm, 7% and the agents, the majority of those agents, real estate is their second job. So mm-hmm. a lot of black agents that are in the industry are practicing this as a side job. Okay. Um, so just within this industry, there's, uh, believe it or not, there's actually going to be clients that want to work with me because I am yeah, yeah, a black sure. agent. Like I'll come to you, I'll be like, nah, <laughs> I'll go to her, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, I actually have clients that, you know, they wanted to reach out because they have not seen black agents um, in their in their market. So they want to work with me and that, you know, that is encouraging and that, you know, is really a blessing in disguise. But there's also going to be a lot of people that don't want to work with me because, maybe they don't understand that it is because I'm a black age. And I always say when people um, think the way that they do, they usually don't know that they're thinking that way because to them, it's something foreign. Um, You know, they don't feel comfortable because I don't look like the other agents that they have seen, or I don't look like the other agents that have practiced in their specific um, community or specific neighborhood. So that is, you know, it's going to happen. But what I think is, is going to be important is to understand that, you know, I can work with any demographic, I can work with any price point, 
Um, until we get to that point where everyone is comfortable, we just have to do what we do and understand where our niche market is. Okay. And do you see a lot of, do, does a lot of African-American guys or people come to you specifically then, or is it like it's mixed at the moment? Because like, I don't know how many African-American people actually buy homes or own property. Yeah, so um, there was a, a huge decrease in uh, African-American homeownership um, over the past few years. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say on a male, just males coming to me generally and wanting to, to indulge in the real estate industry. Um, yes, I do have a lot of males that reach out to me, but I think um, just because of my business practices, I, I, you know, I take a process that if you're really serious, if you're true and you actually want to, um, you're looking to either buy or sell, I will be able to figure that out very quickly. Okay. So, um, yeah, that does happen with, with any, um, I would say blacks, white, any, any race or nationality, but, um, because I don't have time to waste. Um, just within my process, um, there's some interview processes and techni techniques that I do conduct um, so that I know that my buyer is, is or seller is ready to, to actually commit. Yeah. I've got a question because this, uh, this is something I did wonder because obviously in any kind of industry, the more that you pay for something, the better the service. So I was going to ask, is that the same in uh, real estate as well so going back to what Nigel was saying earlier the difference between having like a hundred thousand dollar apartment or two hundred thousand dollar apartment or having a piece of real estate which is worth say 10 million is the way that you go about your job different are you taught to handle clients differently um, probably more carefully or you know the way you would meet them would that be different would you have to take clients out and stuff like that to get some of these big real estate sort of contracts to be able to do that or, or, or do you just treat every client the same and the industry you know is that is, is it, which way would you be really yeah so i think on a price point standpoint there there's not a difference now um the way that i may interact with a first-time home buyer opposed to um a home buyer that this is their their third house there's some things that um that they are already aware of um and just within my specific market a lot of first-time home buyers there's a little bit of coddling that they may need or they may need a little bit of reinsurance because they haven't been through this process before it's something new to them and so they are going mm -hmm. to be nervous they're going to be a little bit um more you know advantageous to know um to know more details or have to have that communication on a more frequent basis than somebody that has you know, going through this process two or three times. Um, yeah. Now there are some clients in a specific price point or even some of my investor clients. So I have um, investor clients in the uh, California area. I have only met them one time, but it feels like we've known each other for, for years. But of course, when they're in town, um, you know, I'm going to be available to them. You know, I will cancel my, my schedule and make sure that I have, the availability for them to connect with them for that entire day. And I will right, take okay. them to different properties and show them. And that's some, some things that I may not do with someone that's local. 
I think, yeah, uh, I understand. No, I just can subscribe to that, innit, Nigel? That's your, your kind of method of... Because Nigel's actually kind of a... Nigel, explain to, to her what you do. <laughs> yeah, if it's... <laughs> turn your mic up, my, Nigel. Turn your mic up, bro. We'll so I'm quiet. You, I'm quiet. Seriously, hold on a second. <laughs> quite quiet, yeah. I'm using my... Um, First time ever. It should be using my... My blue... My snowball, man. What's going on here? Well, let me cuss. It's actually, right. actually not too bad, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, basically, um, I uh, have had 23 years of um, field sales experience. And uh, about 15 years ago, I ended up working for Yell, Yellow Pages, Yell.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was all our internet, well, their version of internet marketing. Um, if, you ever, if you've ever used Yell, you know what I mean. Um, so basically, it was selling marketing to people who had no idea about marketing online. But what I found was a lot of them had no idea about marketing full stop. So even simple things like, you know, business cards or even making sure where they knew where their, their advertising spend worked the best and things like that. So I left Yale, ended up going to Groupon, and spent five years there. Uh, what, I, what I realized was that business owners were exactly the same as when I was at Yale. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I then left Groupon and strangely set up a phone business um selling mobile phones but at the time i was in financial services i was doing it part-time um you mentioned earlier about the cost involved yeah financial services very rewarding like a real real estate but mm-hmm. um you know penalties and clawbacks and things you, you, you put pretty much if you get into that world and you stay in there too long you'll never be able to escape because you, you know you build up things like clawbacks etc so um, about two years ago, I launched a program to help uh, business owners who are afraid of technology. And uh, I've been doing that ever since. So I've worked with business owners, strategy, websites, online marketing, all the stuff that they don't do because they think, I'm going to break the internet. Uh, <laughs> the, the only way you can break the internet is if you go on the dark web. <laughs> and not even, well, yeah. and I, don't, I don't even go there myself. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's come about because you know I'm no, you know, there's people who are far superior to me when it comes to some of this stuff. But there's there's a lot of people who haven't got a clue who I come into contact with on a day by day, week by week basis, and just trying to help those guys out. Offer programs, offer one to one, putting together some video courses, going through my new membership site, which I'm hoping to launch next week. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> yeah, well, what I want. Um, is how you because she's it sounded pretty much the same as how you like um look after your customers especially frequent or return customers yeah i mean the thing is what a lot of businesses don't realize and this is where they're all daft a lot of them is that it's easy to get someone to spend money with you who's already spent money with you and had a good experience because you've right. already got that you've got that money in the bank you've got that goodwill built up what a lot mm. of businesses do when they get to i'd say not even mature is they, they start in a mad scramble to go and try and find new customers, forgetting that they've already got 100 customers who've given them money happily. So rather than invest in a new product that they could offer to these new customers, or just go back to them to ask for referrals, mm-hmm. they say, oh, let me go and spend £10,000 on Facebook advertising and, 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 and chase. Don't get me wrong. When you first start out, you have to acquire. But if you do a good job in acquiring, them same people will, will keep you happy, man. You only actually need, depending on what you're selling, 
You either need, you need a thousand customers tops in your lifetime as a business. Because if you look after them right, you've got yourself a nice little business. Absolutely, that's so true. And of course, not to say that, you know, working with some clients, you may have a unique experience that may be, you know, a little bit better than others, but all in all, on a service standpoint, you know, it's going to be sound all the way through, no matter what the price point is. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with yourself, because obviously you're working in like a, what I call a premium service. Um, mm -hmm. You're building those relationships. I, I would imagine that you have already picked up referrals. Oh, so-and-so mentioned you, Amber. Can you come over and see me? You know what I mean? I'm sure you're getting that already. Absolutely. So. And it's the best business, right? Oh, Was damn. That's American accent. Prices, you know what I mean? You know, you know, referral. Stop laughing at my, my Welsh accent. That was an American accent. You an American accent. Listen, right. I'm oh, sorry. That, that was Welsh, man. <laughs> with, with a referral, with a referral, price isn't an issue. They've already decided they're going to use you. Just tell them how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, and when it can get done, and that's it. Boom. And those are the best ones. So if you, if you look after your customers every step of the way, they will talk about you nice every step of the day. Boom. <laughs> Absolutely. And stay engaged with them too. And remember mm. those important moments. Yeah. You know, I actually, one of my clients, you know, um, text me happy mother's day. I do have a son. Um, and just, you know, those connections, um, most people feel as if when the transaction is done, that our relationship is over, but no, because we are, as agents, we want to stay engaged and yeah. we want to, we want to have our clients send us referrals because that's the best business. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to have clients text you happy mother's day or remember those important memories and you yeah. do the same thing for your clients. That's, it's, that's it's nice. very important. And it yeah. shows that you've made an impact on their life and, you know, they're making one on yours as well. Exactly. Building, building a strong network, aren't you? I think something that, yeah, I think something that's understated as well is like, you know, you, you can stay very professional. Simon, Simon, you. Also have, hello? Sorry, your hear me? reception's a bit weird. It's kind of robot-y. Robot-y? Is that even a word? <laughs> <laughs> robot <-y>. Robotic. <laughs> Can you explain that? Uh, a little bit, it's yeah. Just, oh, man. We'll try and understand what you're try saying. Moving around. No, I don't want to... How bad is it? We can still understand you. Oh, um... Yeah, carry on anyway. Oh, say, say we're going to say, we can understand you. I kind of lost where I was, man. Um, oh, I was saying about, um, basically, the, the, what is kind of understated in business as well, is that you can have a professional relationship and some kind of loose friendship with your clients as well. Because what I was doing within the music industry is I didn't expect to make friendships. I expected to have people come back and work with me, which would have been great. But I did actually make genuine bona fide friendships with people who would make those courtesy calls and ring up when they maybe they're about to release some music, but they're excited to tell you as a friend rather than to try and promote some music or they would, you know, just ring you up and ask you how a gig went or how my music was coming along and stuff like that. And that was always a nice, nice feeling I made. You know, you already know when I made plenty of friends mm -hmm. doing what I did and, and, and in, in, you know, working in the industry. And I know that 
in stuff like this where in real in real um, sorry real estate where you are face to face with your customers quite often and you are trying to do the best for them and they're seeing you work to try and get the best outcome for them once they have that trust in you that that was the service they actually received they actually got that great service from you you was positive engaging i guess they do sort of they have worked out sort of your personality as well you know that you're not a snake you know they actually would have picked up parts of your character that they've either drawn to or or even if it's just your professionalism you know amber can get the job done but it could have been you know amber was the friendliest person i've ever worked with and it was just easy you know it was just we got the job done easy so and then of course they're going to pick up the phone the next time in, instead of just taking a punt on you know whatever uh, real estate agent he sent out to them and it was the same in my industry and i guess it's the same with nigel when he's searching for business or when he's he's got somebody giving a referral it's like you know he's always got a smile on his face he's positive he's full of ideas you know this guy will help you and i think that is kind of based on a loose friendship as well as um just that 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 professional relationship as well i think there can be sort of an amalgamation of both when i, when I do uh, sales that? training um, i did sales training with this girl who was terrified of, of uh, knocking on cold doors so people mm-hmm. she didn't know and one of the things i said to her i think she took it on she took it on board in the end it was hard work and i said look man at the end of the day you're knocking on all these doors what you're actually doing is you're just going to make a friend at the first point of contact you're looking to make a friend you're looking to make that person think oh they're worth speaking to and when when i helped to kind of think about that instead of thinking oh i've got to go to sale Mm-hmm. She actually got that much more return business. People, people didn't buy on the day, but the amount of people who came back to her afterwards because they remembered, oh, you came in, you came in with that guy and you were talking and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they'll bring up things, certain things about that day which they remember. And it's because she made an impression. Um, so that's how I live my life. Everyone, everyone's my friend, man, so they decide they don't want to be. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. I think that was one of the hardest things for me is to understand that, yes, you are a professional. However, you cannot be a robot. No. Um, you know, people want to work with people that they Absolutely. feel comfortable with. They feel like you're not going to judge them. So I think that's why it's so important to let people in a little bit on who you are, um, you know, to see that candid lifestyle and to see how you operate and the reality, you know, to see you in the action of taking care of your family and, um, you know, to going to experiencing those lows with them as well as those highs and celebrating those as well. So I think that um, is definitely the key to being successful, especially in the real estate industry, is to let people uh, in a little bit on your life and, you know, still be professional, but be real with them as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, wait then, Nigel, do you know, because I want to move on a little bit to business, um, business in America and business compared to business in um, England. I don't think there's much like, apart from England, I don't think there's much like, let's say, black or African presence in respect to business, but in England, we might have something to represent. But mainly when you think of proper business, you look at America, because America's where most black people are mostly successful. Like I think I could, as far, I can go as far as to say that in England, we don't have a, a middle class, a black middle class. Do we have one? Maybe footballers? We, we, we the thing is, right, there is, in, in England, um, 
there is a lot of successful black business owners. Um, the problem in England, though, is that they aren't celebrated. They're not there. You don't see them. They're not visual. You might see them when they go concert or whatever in club and you think, who's that guy buying all the champagne? Well, you won't know that he runs a company employing 100, 200, 300 people. Um, I think in America, you know, I love, you know, I, was, I wasn't watching the other day. I was watching something the other day, man. No, I was watching... Um, it wasn't oh, Power, was it? No, 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 no. I was watching uh, Black AF, hashtag Black AF. Yeah. With, um, <laughs> Kenya. Um, look, man, you see that show? I watch that show, right? You know something? I watch that show. And I was proud, you know. I'm, I'm standing up there in my office. Because I didn't realise <laughs> yeah. how many black directors we had. How many people of colour were behind the, the, the video directing, producing, creating great shows, you know, you know, acclaimed shows. And I'm watching, I'm thinking, oh my God. And I thought, how come England hasn't got that? We haven't got the structure, we haven't got the infrastructure, we haven't got we haven't got the people who will, will put the money in to, 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 to find that, you know, to get that kind of media. Maybe there is, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a young boy anymore, so I'm not on that level. But um, when I look at America, man, I think, yeah, still got problems with obviously, you know, people with their views and that but most certainly if you know if you want to succeed as a person with color you, you certainly can succeed as a person of color in america and you can in england as well well you think, can just, yeah you can i just think in america, bit... you, you can see you can actually you know own tv channels man own tv channels no, the thing is it's comparable though is it? i think the problem with that is like it's, it's a bad example england and america because the difference is kind of comparable like We've got very bad social injustice for black people here, higher arrest rates, you know, people incarcerated, all the rest of it, you know, social injustice, black on black people. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same, and it's worse, in it? if, if you ask me, tightened and everything like that because of some of the laws, um, especially when people come out of places like jail, so they're used up in jail, like 97%, I think, of Americans, America's, uh, military, anything made for the military is made by um, the jail population and you know, obviously it's a massive industry in itself and it's disproportionately black people who are, are getting it and obviously with coronavirus as well, look how disproportionately that's affecting the black communities as well so you, you can obviously see how bad the situation is being a black person, it, you know um, in America, but like you say I think because there's just more opportunity let me just finish this talk I'll come back to you, sorry um, the one thing I would say about the, um, the, being a black person in America is because there's more opportunity in general. It's a bigger place. There's more places you can go. There's probably places where there's more black people, you know, uh, you know, so successful black people, you know, you can, you can find them. Um, I think there's, there's just more opportunity for to be successful in America compared to England. And like what Nigel was saying before about, you know, there's not really black shows that celebrate, you know, on TV talking about, black entrepreneurs and everything. They probably would just say in a country our size with our population, there isn't that much of an appetite for it. So they're not going to put the programmers to make yeah. it. Where in the United States, they probably would have more of that appetite because there's the larger African-American yeah. population. I think um, as well, I think, I think it also depends, you know, it's really bad. This is, it depends as to which, you know, which, which black we're talking about. If we're talking about Caribbean, then they're, <laughs> they're, they're most certainly different to African who most certainly, if they have success, they will let you know. They will celebrate that within their community. So I think 
Yeah. The Caribbean community, for some reason, we dumb, we dumb ourselves down. We take the mickey out of everybody else, but we dumb ourselves down because I've got clients, I've got clients, right? Last week I had a client say to me, oh, well, I want to grow my business, but I, I don't really want to like tell, tell people too much about it. And I was like, you are. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've been brought up to kind of like, you know. I never understand that. <laughs> you, know, you know something though? I, 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 to be fair, we can, I mean, you can theorize that all night. I mean, I, I think there's a certain, um, well, certainly from a Caribbean point of view, there's a certain, there's a certain mentality which is in, enforced on them without being enforced on them. And, you know, it's all about being humble and not talking about, you know, not, not, not being, not being good. Not, if you are good, not telling people. And for me, that's the worst thing we can do because every other race, when they're good at something, they shout him on the rooftops. <laughs> they do. We're in the Caribbean community. And I can only say that because I'm, you know, over the last 12 months, I've, I've spoken to many Afro-Caribbean business owners and there's this innate fear for them to even, to even trust themselves to make a decision. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll listen to, you know, Uncle James down in, in, in Bath, who's never run a business, and they'll say, you know, Uncle James will say, no, I'm doing this because blah, 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 and, and they'll take that as fact. But Uncle James has never run a business. Uncle James worked in a factory <laughs> all his life, and he's telling them about the business. He's telling them about their dream. And I think what I believe is that people, unfortunately, not all, but there's certain people in the Caribbean community, they are, they're shackled, man. Their minds are just completely shackled by, you know, they, they don't realise the power they have and what they could do. But, well, you know, so for that to kind of take shape and that, it's going to be out of my generation, mate. It's going to pass my time. <laughs> <laughs> but like I say, the Africans now. Right. Oi! One... Oi! Hey, hey, hey! Yeah, man. They don't play. And neither do the Americans when they get the opportunity. When they, you know, when they get the opportunity, because it is all about opportunity as well, you know, you come from people who are prepared to push yeah. you. And I think that's definitely interesting because, yes, we do have blacks that have paved the way, but we also still have blacks that are the first. Um, yeah. You know, in 2020, there's still a lot of blacks that are the first to do something in a, in a specific sector. Yeah, um, yeah. So at what I think just here in America, what is, what is exciting is that we are able to use our voice and be vocal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think what is just within our specific culture um, is that there are people that will support you. Yeah. Um, although it, you know, it's few and far between, um, for some reason, it's like, you know, you're working on a project and you would think that your other black brother or sister will want to help or support you yeah. um, more times than than not. They they won't. But yeah. we still do have those opportunities where we are, um, you know, we have that support from from people that look like us, people yeah. that have gone down the same path um, or people that have been vocal to be able to pave the way so that we can continue yeah. um, to be that, yeah. successful in yeah. that and I think I think what's nice what you said as well was the fact that there are people who are the first. But the thing is, you're hearing about that. You know, you you you're you know at least you're hearing about that. You know, I didn't even realize we had a black top barrister in this country with <laughs> with, with dreadlocks until I seen him coming out of the court one day and he was in the newspaper. And I was like, I was like, who's that dread? Where's he coming from? My man's a barrister. 
Oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord. I just have to say to you, but you know what I mean? So, I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. I think that would be a perfect example of that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah I think a perfect Stewart, you know, well, I want to show you this. I, I'm sorry, last year, I don't know what's wrong. Um, your reception is really bad. This company is called Worldwide Technology. Uh, Dave, it's his company. Uh, oh, he's still there, but he's not there. Um, it's Dave Stewart's company. This is his company. This is this this, this company grosses two billion US dollars a year. The thing, what strikes me <laughs> now what strikes me what strikes me about this is look i'm going to scroll down now this is executive team oh what do you recognize here which company all right listen man the, the thing is right the thing is what you got to look at right is this and i'm going to look in in the positive way he's at the top of the food chain there's a time when he wouldn't even been able to get into the bottom of the food chain. So the fact that he's at the top and he's giving out orders to all the other people, that's still celebrated. Yeah, okay. The rest of it isn't kind of made up for the right kind of... He's not rest representing? Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, what you got to look at... Who are you on about? Wait, when it comes to business, right? Wait, sorry. They'll always go for the best. Now, if you think about it, they've gone for the best man for the top role. Not for the finance director or for the... HR for the top <laughs> role. So on a global scale, when this guy is, is out talking about his business, who is it they see? They see him. So it doesn't matter about the rest. What's behind him? It's like it's him. So, oh, oh look yeah, but, right here, man. Boy, but the thing is, it goes. It plays into what Amber was saying a minute ago. Is that you got this guy now? He's an African American brother, or yeah. where is one? Could be Cuban. I don't know. Yeah. And like his whole team around him is not made up of his people. You know what I mean? And I understand it could be that, yeah, then his people are not that good, but shouldn't he be trying to pull in, you know what I mean? He can find an equivalent. Trust me, he can find an equivalent yeah, African-American yeah, person yeah, yeah, yeah. to... You can't, you, can't just, you can't just go to a boardroom and say, right, all you guys are sacked. <laughs> <laughs> you get out of here now. Go on, be gone. Come on, brother. Come on, come on, Delroy and then Delbert. And it could definitely be a double-edged sword too because... We have to understand just because we have somebody that looks like us yeah. in that top role, it does not mean that we are entitled yes. to be right yes. there with them. We That's do true, have yeah. to work as well. And I definitely feel yeah. that I can only imagine, like I would I would love to hear, you know, his story of, of where and how he got to where he is now. You know, I can only imagine how much better he had to be. Yeah. Yeah. you know, compared to everyone else. But I think that we have to understand that when we do have someone that is in that executive role or that they are successful in their, in their field, yeah. that doesn't mean that we are entitled to be right there with them. We exactly. have to support, we have to, we, we have to bring something to the table as yes. well. Yeah. Mm. Emulate, replicate. The thing is, right, that has been the downfall of the black community in the past because most certainly in this country where you have had black entrepreneurs who've set up business, whatever, the black community will always be the ones who go in there and say, yo, start me out, man. Give me a discount. <laughs> no, I'm not paying full price. Oh, what happened? You're too cheap, man. I'm going down to Mr. Sings, man. You know what I mean? They, they will, they will take that, you know what I mean? They'll take that food out of that same person's mouth. Yeah. So that guy there, you know, if I, if I was him, I'd be the same. Everything would be on merit. I don't care who's underneath me. As long as they're the best at what they do, 
Yes, yeah, I would okay. most certainly try and spread the opportunity so I did see a bit more colour. But if the colour didn't rise because he didn't want to or didn't have the ambition or he didn't have the knowledge or the expertise to make my company better, then he'd be like, nah, man, I'm going to have Mr. 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 Wang instead. Mr. Clarkson. Yeah, there he is. Come, come in, Jeremy. Hey, hey, Mr. Campbell. Sorry, a little Welsh accent there. Wait there. Hey, you, Mr. Campbell. Can you hear me? Sorry? Can you hear me okay? It's it's a we can hear. You. It's just exactly, some, when you was talking, uh, when you was talking before, it was basically like we couldn't understand you. You was dropping out. Can you say what you was going to say earlier? Can I you can't remember? remember what I was going to say earlier, but I've got a question for Amber. Okay, <laughs> if I can. Um, the only reason I ask is because Amber, like I say, she's from Kentucky, and one of the most sort of like divisive, divisive sort of people in the whole of America is from Kentucky and it's the majority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell. So I just wanted to quickly ask Amber what she thought of Mitch McConnell, being that she's from the uh, from Kentucky. He's out of office. And I think that is, you know, and really because I, I live in Ohio now, but that was such a celebration uh, for He's Kentucky gone. to be able to see that this man is, is completely corrupt. Um, and, what is, I guess, what is so disheartening is that there are people that feel the decisions that he he made was the right decisions. But I felt as if once it got to the point where it was affecting the teachers, that, uh, I guess, it really honed in on, on the white community because there are so many more white educators within, um, you know, within the community and so now it's, it's affecting your community. So now yeah. we have more people that are taking heed to actually what's going on. So right. you know, I think that is something that um, I'm glad that he's definitely out of office, but um, it's, it's, it's funny how certain situations only pertain to certain communities and people don't understand because they don't deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right, this guy, from everything I know about this guy, he's just evil. So, like for for like for an example, Wayne, if you don't know much about him, he's the um, he's like the he's the uh, majority leader of the the Senate, which is obviously not the senators. You know, you got the, yeah. Um, so yeah, so he's the majority leader. But anything that gets brought to the Senate, like a bill to be passed and or to be discussed, he's the majority leader. So he has the choice of what gets discussed and brought to the table and what doesn't. So in America, obviously, we've got mass shootings going on all over the place. And in America, the, the overwhelming, um, from all the polls that have been done, the overwhelming consensus from the, the citizens there is that they want more gun reforms, they want gun, gun control, they want background checks done on people. You know, people want different level of things. So some people want some very basic background checks. Other people want you know, or like, you know, AK-47s and AR-15s to not be able to be sold to anybody. So, but in general, everybody wants something done because of the people dying. Now, Mitch McConnell doesn't like the sound of that because he's getting a lot of donations from the NRA. There's a lot of lobbying going on in the States, which I told you is perfectly legal. So they can give him massive contributions towards his campaign. So he obviously keeps on saying that bill, he actually call him... um, Moscow Mitch and they, they call him the, the, the uh, what's it now the other one the Grim Reaper because bills go to die in the Senate it looks they like say it. bills go to die <laughs> so he, he's been in the Senate for about three years this bill 
to actually bring in gun reform and he just refuses to bring it out to the table. He just says, I don't like that bill. And if I don't like it, I'm not discussing it. No. So yes, there's like health reform bills and stuff like that that he just will not bring to the table that offer Americans basic protections for like health emergencies. And he's like, no, we're not even going to discuss that. Pay rises for the, uh, like, uh, I think it's the police and the, the health workers haven't had a pay rise in 11 years. And he's like, no, we're not going to bring that to the table either. Yeah, so I think we're all unanimous in saying it's good that he's no longer... Oh, yeah. And he's he still an officer, so correct myself. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, he's still the majority officer. leader. He's yeah. the majority leader of the Senate, but um, he will get voted out this year as incumbent. But he's old. He's like 78. What's he still... He's got no business being in there anymore. I'm sick of tired of seeing these guys who are like seasoned. He's 78 years old. He's Mitch McConnell guy. He's 78 years I, old. I, I, I don't get this rush to put these fossils in charge. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Well, I've been in charge a long time. That's why they end up yeah, staying in charge. The thing is, though, they put fossils in... in I mean, like... 78. Fossils get to vote. For, it's the fossils who get to vote on who's going to be in charge next. And you understand, like, it's not even like... Um, uh, a thing where it can be like nepotism where they can pass the reign on to the next the next generation of their own family there's a lot of that in there where the next generation will work there but you can't just pass on the title a lot of things people have voted in or voted out so in america richie or talking about mitch mcconnell his primary objective for the whole time he's been in office is to be to pass to bring in like lifetime appointed judges into key places around the country, into Rubbish. Supreme Court, into um, um, you know district courts, in, into everything. Who share his ideologies? So they are like pro, um, um, you know, the, they want to ban abortion and LGBT rights. They want to, you know, they've already stopped. Um, I think LGBT people from serving in the army again, which is something that Obama had repealed and stuff like that. They're trying to bring back very, you know, I'm from down south. To, you know, sat there with my cowboy hat shooting sort of you know that's that's their old school way of thinking and pretty much dismissive of anything that is not traditional um yeah, yeah basically in a nutshell but it's really it's mad because it's not even like we're following christian values it's a very like a very particular evangelical sect of the the church that is very very powerful in the south I mean, like this, people are saying, even on the Democratic side, um, because of, I don't know if you all know his name, Amber, that guy in South Carolina, who's basically, he's, he's, they say he's the voice of the South down there. And they said, because he said, vote for Biden, pretty much everybody in South Carolina voted for Biden. So like they're saying, I can't remember this guy's name, it's going to annoy me. But they're saying like, he's just a very, very popular um renowned figure in i think he was in carolina anyway and they said that's where biden's campaign started to change and he started to pick up a lot of votes and you know won the nomination basically because there's some people who've just got that much power down there but mitch mcconnell is, is an evil evil piece of shit <laughs> anyway um i do want to get into because um amber's releasing because we're coming close to the end Amber's releasing a new podcast but before that sorry because you was talking anyway you could do your little segment how about that? Boom. Yeah, well, I just wanted to touch on something. You know, we said that each week we're going to talk about somebody who's inspirational, who's done something amazing, somebody uh, from the black community um, who we should be recognised and we should talk about. And I don't know if anybody's heard of this person. I've, I briefly mentioned her um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's a lady by the name of Bessie Coleman. And I don't know if you've heard of her, um, Amber. Um, she, she was the first 
um, African American pilot to ever be qualified, and she had to basically she was brought up in a, a really rural setting into a really poor family. Um, but she she I think she were I can't remember the exact setting of it, but she she was around some kind of aviation, but she wanted to be a pilot. But it was illegal in the states to become a pilot. Um, and she wanted to obviously fly and she had this passion which was burning um, so she moved up north and she took a job um, I think as like a housemaid and some menial jobs as well and uh, saved up enough money to go to France where she went off and trained under someone who was actually quite famous as a stunt pilot and she obtained a, a license and she became the first black um, female pilot but on returning to the United States a few years later um, she was actually become a stunt pilot and had her own aerobatic shows in the United States um, but tragically and I haven't got the details of in front of me which is a bit ill prepared but tragically um, she was uh, killed um, performing uh, in practice she was performing a stunt and she turned the airplane upside down and she actually fell out of her aircraft from height and fell to her death oh my god but I think that she's just a really inspirational character anyway, because being the first of anything, um, especially in a time where we're not even talking about Jim Crow segregation, we're talking like back in the day where black people really had no rights, you know, and um, to go to the North just to save and be that dedicated and do menial jobs and to go to France and to another country and to come out on top and come back, I think just, and, and, and to have your own show, it just showed literally is the epitome of the American dream. You know, it's that resilience. They will, I will find a way to make this possible. And even though it happened outside the U S she was able to go back and enjoy a career that she'd envisaged all these years before. And I just think mm -hmm. she's a really inspirational person. So look her up, Bessie Coleman. I think this sort of stuff happened around since 1917 and stuff, uh, where she was became quite a licensed, but I just think, yeah, one person we can talk about and have a look at who we should be celebrating. Yeah, actually, uh, let me just correct that a minute. She was born in 1892 and died in 1926. So yeah, around 97. When did she get a license? Um, 1917. Like, uh, June, June, the um, June 15th, 1921. Yeah, she had to, because uh, they wouldn't, um, awesome. they wouldn't, no flight school in America would train a coloured woman. Not, not that, not pre 1960 or something. No way. No way. But yeah, thanks for that. Anyway, going back to our special guest. Um, you've got a new podcast coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Ooh. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So I do have a new podcast coming out. We will actually um, launch uh, this month. It will be in two weeks, so May 26th. Mm -hmm. um, so the podcast is uh, called Black Boss Podcast, and what we are going to discuss is pretty much what it what it's like being a black boss in today's society. So our first podcast is going to be the Black Prima Donna, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm very excited about this. This is actually a topic that um, really. I can relate to um, because I have been called a prima donna, you know, in the work field. But um, what this podcast is really set to do is to um, understand and be able to um, communicate effectively with our um, other colleagues, with the, you know, with other executives within our, um, our career path. 
um, and to really enlighten what it, what it really is and what we go through as Blacks within the executive roles. Okay. Sounds really good. Sound interesting. We're all going to try and get to listen to that. Is it, when, when is it released again? 26th of, was it 26th of May? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we're all going to be um, look, watching out for that because it's definitely mm-hmm. interesting. Especially, I want to see, I want to know why you're a prima donna, to be fair. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's the thing, isn't it? When we watch, I'm sorry to say this, African-American women, it? <laughs> we always think, because like, I can imagine you're an upstanding citizen. Obviously, you're, you're a boss, so you've got to... <laughs> You know, adhere to certain etiquettes, but what you see in African women most times, they're, they're they're really they're pretty much all prima donnas in a way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to incur the wrath. You know, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you there. I You're gonna disagree with me. Yeah, I think I think what you what you see there is is confidence. I don't okay. think it's prima donna because yeah. you got to remember, you know, women not just not well. Women, black women, have had to come the furthest than anyone really. If you think of what they've had to go, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, men have been through a whole heap of things, but women, women, man, women carried man, the man was like, Ugh. so for them to be all sassy on screen and that, fair play to the man, carry on with the sassy, sassy selves. Absolutely, I agree with you, Nigel. And men can be prima donnas too. Oh, yeah. um, I definitely feel as if you know especially as a leader, you're going to have expectations. And Mm -hmm. if someone thinks that those expectations are far-fetched or they can't, you know, get with a program, that doesn't make me a prima donna. That Mm -hmm. just means that you're unable to meet those expectations and we need to figure out what needs to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm going to call you the black boss now. Yeah, that's what I told you. (laughs) (laughs) you the black boss. (laughs) Right, yeah. I think in general, I think what a lot of people, I think, sorry, what I wanted to just say quickly is that I think, look, we should celebrate, you know, blackness and what blackness means. And I think one thing that we, I think we all know, but we don't say it's natural, it's rhythmic, it's swag, we're dancing from back in the day, and we just got away. Well, I said, I said, something where you've only got being nasty, it's not, it's not robotic. Yeah, what, what the thing is, what I've got to remember, and I, I, actually do, I actually do a comedy sketch about this. You've got to remember, right, back in the day now, let's go right back, let's go way back into time. Now, when the music was first thought of, so you had like the caveman, he was like, he was tapping his stone on some, some water, and go, hey, this is a beat. So, black people, if you look at, listen to our music from way back, it's always got a drum in it, it's always got some kind of drum. Now, the Caucasian music, if you go back, they never had drums in their music. It was always a harp or some violin or wee, 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 or piano. So when they came into contact with us and they heard that drum beat, it blew their minds. Yeah. <laughs> you sent them, sent it's like, you want to be a bit of a drum bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit so we have this natural inbuilt power, I call it. It's a power. It's nothing else. It's just a power. It's a, it's a superpower, which when um, people realize what they've got, like these sassy black ladies, yeah, man, plant it backside, yes, because it's, it's in us. This is in us. You know, our, our children in this country are called disruptive, and they're told they've got ADHD because they have personality. 
because they can they can run a little joke, they can do a bit of banter, but because of that, they're then told that they're troubled or disruptive. So yeah, man, celebrate, celebrate, man. We're not a robot, but not a robot at all. Right, that's yeah, good. Man. On that note, yeah, I think we'll um, end the show. Thank um, you, Amber. Well, well, well first we'll. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, it's great having you. Uh, hopefully, you can come on again when you start your podcast up, and uh, you can let us know how it's going. Send send us some send us some info, please, some bio info and, a, and an image, so, so I can get it shared on the, the group page. Yeah, will do. Thank you, guys. Well, you got any anything any shout outs you want to say, Amber, before you go? Um, shout out to all of us beautiful black people. <laughs> 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 all right man nigel you got anything to say um yeah well i hope everyone's still staying safe with this madness that's going on who knows what path they're taking us on next they've got lockdown no lockdown you got one part of britain where you can come out another part where you're not allowed out i mean i'm, I'm gonna give a shout out to the people who are locked out so <laughs> <laughs> jesus <laughs> cheese man cheese <laughs> all right uh sorry got anything you want to say I want to give a shout and I want to give that out because she's enjoying this holiday. She's enjoying this clean air. Mother she's enjoying that everybody's staying at home, doing what they're doing. And she says thank you to every keeping her nice and safe right about now. Let's not go back to making the same stupid mistakes as we was making before COVID. So hopefully we're going to have a new world and a clean You know we will. Old habits die hard. Anyway, yeah, that was um, the real locker room talk in Black Uplits. Uh, about Stadio. <laughs> you, you got it wrong again, you know. You got it wrong. You <laughs> keep saying in Black Uplits, man. This is Black Uplits? Yeah, but... If, oh, okay. We're fair enough. We're the, we're the horsemen of the Black Uplits. Oh, yes, yes. I always forget the horsemen. Of the, the yeah, horse- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. Whatever. Horsemen of the Black Uplits. The Black Uplits is like the apocalypse, but it's, like it's going to be filled with black people causing yes. trouble. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you like the podcast, pass it on. Um, subscribe. Get our app. We've got an app now. Uh, yeah, download that. And we would rather you listen to us on the app because we then no. income to. Hey, um, so where where do you get the app from? Is it iOS? Is Google. It Google. At the moment, it's only Google. Um, Android. The Apple iOS version is, is coming where, soon. Where, where can people find the link for the app? Play Store. No, no, forget that. <laughs> I will post a link. There's a uh, link on the webs. There's a uh, link on the Facebook page, uh, on the Twitter page, uh, on the Instagram page. There's a link uh, everywhere. Uh, that's all I like to hear. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. Then thank you, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs>